Welcome to episode 599 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 599 of Iron Talk with Coach John Yusman and Bevan James Iles. Happy New Year to you! Happy New Year! You were telling me about some angry driving? I was. New, new Christmas driving in New Zealand, not a lot of fun. Not tip, a tip, of the, tip of the week, if you're going to drive, drive at Christmas time around here, go early. Yeah. We went at 8 one day. Big mistake. Good, good, no, good, good driving conditions. Went at 10 another day, horrific. Wait, 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 you drove a big trip leaving at 10. Mm, what were you thinking? That's, I was that's, that's driving 101, that is, Newsom. Don't preach to the converted. <laughs> <laughs> family, maybe it's a family topic. We, we On the way home from Queenstown, coming back, we left at 7 in the morning, John. Good thinking. Yep. Straight would, into it. Yes, I would agree with that. It's a great, great strategy. You wouldn't leave at 10. No. Foolish. <laughs> I talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance Your Lactic Buffer And our patrons Let's name a few of them Jumbo Sam The Light Says Go Green That's a good one Daniel The Investigator Clark And I think he's been doing Some more investigating this week yeah, Rob The Detail Deliverer Grey Guys This week we're back Into the studio And we've actually got some news Because often at this time of year We have nothing But over the holiday season We had some news We've got some news we've got Big news Big news Discussion of the week Statistic We have an interview With Helen No Elizabeth what was it Elizabeth and John Rag? But I'm going to pull up who first. Now, now. The reason this, I wasn't able to do this interview because um, I was away on holiday, lying on the beach. Uh, but also, just the, the times wouldn't work out. But the reason I wanted to get them on was, if you remember, a while ago we had Jeff Jonas on the show, who had done um, all Ironmans around the world. Uh, whereas these guys have done even more Ironmans, and they actually went over to. This is rookie. We've got the phone. I don't think they can the hear it, John. Oh, oh, they might be able to, but it just just it doesn't. <laughs> But it's a landline. What is that? I know. I really <laughs> want to get rid of it because it's such a waste of money. We've got rid of ours. Your parents. It'll be your parents, won't no, it? No, it's surveys. So that's why we got rid of ours. Yeah, surveys, John. Anyway, back to um, these guys we're interviewing is because there was a quiz over in Kona this year. And we remember talking to Zania the Stalker. <laughs> There's stuff going everywhere. Bevan's got up. His chair's gone flying. But Zania the Stalker and Torsten went and did a, tr- uh, a quiz over in Kona. And they got downtrowned, completely trou- trounced by uh, this guy. And I'm not sure if his wife was there. So he is obviously a book of knowledge. And Bevan had a chat with him. As well as the interview, we've got Wanger of the Week to see what everybody's been up to over the little Christmas period. Bloody real estate agent. Real estate <laughs> Bloody agent. Bloody real estate agent. Did you tell him to call you back? You're selling? You're moving? Uh, no, back. I'm not doing anything, John. They just, you know what they like. They're trying to just, you know, just calling up. Trying to sell your house. Yeah. Elizabeth Model. Model. Yeah, that's her name. Cool. And John Rigg. Excellent. And we've got some uh, questions and answers at the end. Do my job, well done, John. We've got some big news, and the big news of this week well, it was kind of just before the holiday season. Mm. Interesting time to announce. Very. Um, and some cynics could say it's always a good time to announce because you're not going to get much kind of talk about it. But it's an interesting subject. I don't know if it's that controversial. It's interesting. But I don't know if it's that controversial. Yeah, but it's. it's so, sorry, qualifying for Ironman World Championships and Ironman 70.3 World Championships for pro athletes is returning to a slot-based allocations for 2019. So it doesn't affect this year, but next year it will. First of all, why would they do this? 
that's a question we've got to ask them. I, I'm not quite sure. Uh, and I really, what intrigues me is to whether or not there was any athlete input into this. So I haven't had a chance to talk to any pro athletes or um, social media stuff, whether they're happy about this or not, or whether there was any input, or whether it was just a unilateral decision by those that sort of run the pro side of things at Ironman, how it sort of came about. Um, obviously, the point system... You know, it's not was was not perfect. Some people ended up having to to race a lot. So we'll just go through it, and then we'll yeah, sort let's, of. Let's but they've got their rationale for it, um, and we can discuss and debate that. A quick summary basically means that at all Ironman races now, there is a minimum of one slot for males and female pros, and then there may be more slots depending on the size of the field. But at most Ironmans, there's probably only going to be... The winners a, are going to get the The winner's going to get a slot, and there may well be a second slot, and more likely than not, that will go to a male. So you pretty much got to be going and winning races. So so if there's a big pro field at a lesser race, if the championship races is going to be six slots, we'll talk about that in a second, but if there's less, if there's a big pro field and they have three slots, it's going to, so it's allocated based on, because when I first read this, I kind of briefly saw it and I thought, oh, that's cool, we'll be 100 athletes, that means it's going to be 50-50, they're going to finally sort this out. Oh, how wrong you were. Oh, how <laughs> wrong I was. And this time around females, John, me too and all. Yes, so that, I think that, the females, it's going to pretty much end up a, a similar ratio of, by the look of what Torsten sort of put up there. Yeah. But like, for example, if you're thinking about, say, one of the smaller races maybe in Asia where they might only have 20 pros racing versus, say, I don't know, um, Ironman Lake Placid where they might have 50 pros racing, for example, then they might get three or three slots at Placid and only two at the smaller ones. And again, that would be based on the number of pros. So if you had 50 male pros and 20 girls, girls we'd only get one slot and the mm. men would get two uh, at regional champs as Bevan said there'll be six slots so there'll be two automatic slots for both males and females and then two additional slots that will be allocated on um, so you think at regional champs is probably similar side fields um, no I'd say there'll always be more guys Yeah, but significantly enough to put four slots for guys and two for girls uh, well, that, that, well, it does. It's it's, it's numbers the based system. Suppose, it's just yeah. numbers based. So if it is equal, then there'll be three and three. Or if there's loads more females, there'll be four females and two males. Mm. Can't see that happening. Uh, and then the top three from Kona will get an automatic slot for the next year, but they need to still validate. And the champion, uh, the, the champions from Kona still have the five year exemption, uh, but they also need to validate. Let's talk about this one now because John was going through this as the discussion week. I thought it was kind of pointless because I thought everyone would agree it's a good thing uh, so we're doing a different discussion of the week but the discussion of the week was going to be should Kona champs be given a five year exemption for making it to the big island when everyone else has to qualify and I was like well it's no brainer and you're like back it up. No I think it's an unfair advantage. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, but there should be some prestige in winning the race. Well you've won the race you're a world champion you've, you're, I wouldn't say you're set for life or anything but you know you can gain everything that is about being an Ironman champion, you know, and, and financially from that. But it's a massive advantage if you've just got to go and trundle around a course. Um, some A lot of the athletes don't do that, but Marinda Carfrey is an example of she did that. She, she's won it and she went and trundled around a course and was having chips and stuff, sort of taking the piss, which it's within the rules. I'm not. And they were very upset by that, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, I'm not criticising that whatsoever. Uh, but I think it's an unfair advantage to have the champion then just be able to roll through and have a have a, a much different build up where other athletes um, who have got a. Well, maybe we'll make a discussion of the week then. Although we'll I've do done it. the show notes. We'll okay, do it next we'll do it week. Next week. <laughs> yeah. I've done the show notes. You guys save up your thoughts for that for next week. Because I, I kind of think I like it. I think you know what you've won the championship. There's got to be some perks. 
Mm. And to have the pro, the top person there for the next five years, which let's be honest, if you want Kona, it's, it's going to be a high chance you're going to be there anyway. Mm-hmm. So unless something goes terribly wrong, but I don't mind. We'll it debate that a bit more next week. Okay. So yeah, the champs have got a five-year exemption they need to validate, and the seventy point three winner from the previous year also gets an automatic slot, and that also requires uh, validation. <coughs> There's no mention of wild cards. I couldn't see anything in there, and and there has only been one press release. And Torsten's done a piece, um, and also on Tri Splits, Daniel there has done a piece as well. Done a really good piece on what would have happened in 2017 based on this new system. But what I'm interested to know is, is a hopefully it'll be a roll down. So say for example, you go to Ironman Germany and Frodo's racing, um, or, or people that have got automatic slots have or, or already qualified, uh, been on the podium the previous year. You would mm. hope the slot rolls down to say fourth, fifth, and sixth, or whatever it, whatever it might be. But I couldn't see any mention of that, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, probably the really big change here is that seventy point three results aren't going to count for anything when it comes to Kona. Um, it's all just you know slot yep. allocation based on Ironman racing, and I think that's probably a good thing. Um, so it's just some some points. I know you got some points, but some points that Thorsten had, and I added to as I read his article. First of all, he wrote a really good piece, and it's on try rating. I'll put a link to both his and Daniel's because Daniel actually Daniel the investigator Mark, mm-hmm. he just put a, a piece on trysplits.com around what would have happened in twenty seven. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. So it, 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 what I was really intrigued to think about was. Who wouldn't have been there this year? That was uh, there? That was there. Okay. And he's done a little list there. So he said, uh, and they may well have changed their racing schedule. Um, yeah, of course. But Annabelle Luxford, she uh, she wouldn't. Uh, and Maureen Half, Asa Lundstrom, Lauren Brandon, who, you, you know, she led the race for a long time. Uh, and then we get down to Anya Berenik. You know, she's an influence on the race. Kirsten Moller, Elisa Kay. So quite a few athletes here on the female side. On the guys, um, Boris Stein, Ivan Rana. And then uh, a few more, Rudy Wild, Jan Van Berkel, Jesse Thomas. Uh, so there's a good, you know, good little list there. There's probably, I don't know, seven or eight guys and uh, sort of similar number of girls. Mm. So, but of course, people would change the way they race. Um, but that's sort of the impact. So it doesn't. I thought it might have had more of an impact on some of the guys that are in the top 15 than it has. But based off uh, the predictions on trysplits.com, the majority of those in the sort of top part of the field um, would have been there irrespective of the system. So some points that Thorsten had and I kind of added to as I read his article was there's going to be less racing but you have to nail a good result. Mm. So that's that's actually good isn't it because you know like we talk about how hard it was for athletes to qualify for Kona and how hard it was for females mm. you know and that way they can have that one race and then focus on Kona if that's what they want to do. Jocelyn, someone like a Jocelyn McCauley you know she won two Ironmans and I still don't think she quite had enough no, guarantee yeah. points. Yeah. So now you win a race, um, you're, you're good to go. Um, Thorsten was quite upset about Ironman saying there's an equality in the sport. He says it's bull No, that was me saying Oh, John that. saying it's <laughs> BS. Uh, extra slots are based on field size. So they really, to me, this is an opportunity to fix a problem. Mm. You know, they kind of dropped the ball here, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Especially like in, in females in society right now is such a big topic. You know, and I know we're talking about sexual scandals and stuff like that, but you know, there's there's kind of a equality, such an an easy argument to win. Mm-hmm. Like there was a one here; they really dropped the ball. But, on that, this one. but what's even worse is they did actually try to make it sound like things were equal by saying, you know, there's uh. equal slots for males and females, and there is, providing that the field size is the same, which they they're, they're not, and. Let's be honest, they're never going to be. I wonder if it's still the one fee for a year for the pros. 
Golden. We haven't heard anything about that, no. so we assume it is. Uh, good for pregnant athletes like Rachel Joyce. Last year, she had to work cr- like crazy to get to Kona. But in her first race back, she went one Ironman boulder, so if she'd done that, she wouldn't have had to Sweet go to the others. So it's um, good. They can get their slots early in the season, which mm-hmm. is really good. So, but Although, I did wonder, if does that mean the early season races lose those pros post-Kona? So the ones who didn't do that well, or the ones who are just trying to verify you know, like no, you think no. like in Arizona or, mm. you know, those ones there, they often get a really strong field because mm. it's kind of like, I'm trying to qualify for next year early or I'm just trying to validate. Whereas now it's like, well, you have mm. to win it. So it makes it a little bit different. Mm. Um, more race. Oh, it actually opens the door to racing and challenge. Yes. It's really good for their competition because back in, back in what, I think the whole idea of the points system was to create a loyalty or at least mm-hmm. stick people to the WTC brand. Whereas now, if you go and win Arizona in the first year, you don't have to do any other DC, WTC races for the year. So it mm-hmm. actually is good for their competition, which I find an interesting move. Um, and easier for outsiders of like, like Brownlee. Oh, yeah. It's, yep. it's easier for guys who aren't really in the sport to come knock off a race. Mm-hmm. He could do an early season Ironman, maybe qualify, yep. not have to do and then turn up for Kona. Exactly. So it's actually good for the sport in that way as well. Yeah, if he was wanting to qualify in the current system, he'd probably go and, it's not gonna happen, he'd, yeah, he'd go and win an Ironman somewhere and he'd probably have to go and win another one. Yeah. Or, or well, he'd have to higher. commit a year to do it. Mm. Whereas this way, he might go in the off-season, try to do an Ironman. If he wins the Ironman, mm-hmm. then he goes, okay, well, I can do my ITU and then... Mm-hmm. Two months out, try to focus on Ironman. Exactly. So in that way, it's kind of cool because it can bring outsiders into the sport. Mm. So there's some um, points. So a couple of things on my opinion on this. I, I don't think it's going to change things much at the top end of the field because those guys can win races. pretty much rock up to most races. Uh, but you've got to win it. You've got to win it, yeah. But, but look at Ironman New Zealand. Yeah, but as, as I said, you know, looking at the results from last year, pretty much all the guys... Got yeah. there, um, Boris Stein, Evan Rana on the guys' side, Nanon Bell, Luxford, and well, there's was, was, was a couple there, but they would have ch- probably changed the way that they raced had the, the system been in place. So, um, But I do really wonder what sort of an impact it's going to have on the sort of the second tier athletes who were able to go and get a, a, you know, a third at a race, a third at another race, and a third at another race, or a fifth or something yeah. like that, and they'd be able to get in that way. So. It makes second-tier racing really fascinating now, doesn't it? Mm. Because you're going to get all the second-tier people trying to go along to races without the the rock stars. Yep. And that's a point that I'll I'll bring up later. Actually, might as well do it now. I think this is going to be to the advantage of the races that in the past had struggled a bit more to attract pro fields. Yeah. Um, so you might get the, the rock stars who are, you know can win most races sort of sticking to their traditional events, but those smaller races and slightly more far-flung areas, you might get so the cherry pickers going, sweet, if I can go and win that, I'm off to Kona. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, that's, that's going to be the interesting area. Doubt it's going to change the top end, but the second tier may well have some impact. Um, it's... Uh, my, I, I just feel that it's going to become more of a lottery system um, because it's a bit like for female age group is trying to qualify for Kona. It's like only one slot per age group. And if one really good person turns up, you're screwed. Yeah. And even if you're of Kona standard anywhere else in the world, you kind of get screwed. So I really would much rather see less races um, for pro athletes where they can qualify and say for example at Kona you have 10 slots so you get rewarded for being in the top 10 regional champs instead of having 
two or three slots per age group, have five slots per age group, and then maybe have a few other designated races. It is races. interesting they only made it three for Kona. It really diminishes oh. the value of Kona now, doesn't yeah, it? Fourth in Kona, that's an awesome result. Yeah, yeah. You're screwed. Yeah, it really <laughs> Whereas, is. Again, now these people, if you get in fourth in Kona, you can go on an Ironman. Should be able to. Um, but it's not guaranteed. But that's the thing. In the current system and the previous system, you're in top 10 in Kona, you're sweet. Yeah. You know, you finish 10th in Kona, you could basically more or less got to go and validate somewhere. But maybe so that's one of the ways they counted the people who just validating. Mm. You know, the, you know what? Yep. Well, you've got to win a race. You, we know you can, but still you've got to do it. Mm, good point. Um, I personally think... Wait a second. Can we yep. just stop that moment? Good point. I think it's the first ever on the show. <laughs> I'm going to take that. Start the new year in a good <laughs> like way. 2018's a good one. Uh, I think I personally probably preferred the old system a little bit more, but it still needed some tweaking. If it was tweaked, we were, I want to see championship races more often and really trying to force through money and points and qualifying getting the, all the big kahunas together on a more regular basis. And I kind of got the feeling they were heading in that direction. They were really favouring the points towards championship races. They were really pushing the money into those. And now, it, for me, it feels like they've taken a step back and they're trying to encourage the pros to go and do a, a lot of the other races rather than focus on the championship races. Do you know something that's really interesting? Let's say they go championship race and they give two slots to a female and four to a men. That means you, there's more slots in a championship race than what there is in the championship race of all. Yeah, good point. Another good point. <laughs> I'm on fire. Jesus. <laughs> what are you taking over the Christmas oh, it's break? It's been a good year, John. It's been a good year. Yeah. So, um, the. Yeah, I think it's good that the 70.3s don't really count for anything now. Um, yeah. I think that's it's a good thing. Uh, well, I, I find this a really fascinating move because it, it seems like it's a move that just, it's, you know, the whole point system, if you're a bit cynical about it, was about keeping athletes in the Ironman world. Mm. And this actually pulls back from that. It, it does. But then you might get people going, uh, they miss out in Ironman New Zealand, they finish third and they go, oh, shit. Got to go into another race. Yeah. Get second somewhere else. Oh, crap. Got to do yeah. another race. So it's really hard to see how it's going to pan out. Um, it also makes the second, the third, the, the, like if we think of the season in thirds, the last third of the season really interesting because the people who are chasing those slots in that last bit, mm. but also if other people who have won races are doing those races, then the roll down kind of comes well, That's the thing. You've, yeah. you've got to assume the roll down, there's going to be a roll down. It has in to be. There. So, the, the, the positive points Ironman were trying to put across is the regional and seasonal nature of the slot allocations encourages athletes to have an off season. That's good. I'd agree to that to a point. Yep. Uh, it preserves the longevity of an athlete career. Not quite sure I see. Uh, oh, if, if, the, you know, you ask, if you ask them to do three Ironman a year mm. for these, you know, for a top, top pro, especially if it's someone like a, like a Terenzo. Mm-hmm. Who can make a massive living on seventy point three? Pop out good Ironman, maybe win one, turn up to Kona. We have to ask someone like a Laura Sedell, You know, would this change their their their? You know, she was somebody who raced a huge amount. Would this actually change things? Yeah, Laura they, did, did they race because they wanted to race and needed to for money, or, or they just enjoy racing? Got old Pete Vibrusic. You know, he's yeah. he's kind of screwed. Not that he goes to Kona anymore. Um, it yeah. does kill the the second t- the third tier athlete, doesn't it? They're not going to Kona anymore. It's going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah, yeah. second tier will get there. Third tier, you know, a third tier could have got to Kona based on the old system. Yes, if you got lucky and done things smartly. Yeah, uh, it better addresses life circumstances, injury, p- pregnancies, etc. Yep. Totally agree with that. Yep. That's a good point. Uh, athletes can start racing later in the season with a win or great performance, or can can qualify versus trying to accumulate the necessary points over a twelve month period. So my overall feeling was this is more about um, 
Iron Man and trying to figure out what's, what's best for them rather than actually asking the athletes what they thought and and but, I, but that's just an opinion I haven't got anything to back that up and I really want to just but you say you like the old system better I think I like the new one better I, I think I like the old one with the tweaking I, again for me it's all about whichever system you do it's all about trying to wait and get more championship races and more top pros and bigger fields going head to head at Germany at whatever the Asia Pacific champs is whatever the North American champs is have Four quality races a year. You're not going to, of course, you're not going to get everybody racing at every one. But if you can get, you know, at each one, five top tenors from Kona over the last couple of years, then you're going to get hopefully more media exposure. And uh, I just think that then better racing. I'm really fascinated to think of how a pro looked at this season, and then how a pro will look at next season. Let's ask them during the year because you know it's going to take a year before this starts to kick in. Well, until sort of around September time. So each time we have a pro on, we'll sort of ask them what their thoughts are. But I, I think for the top guys that we talk to, it won't impact too much. But you know, again, someone like a Mike Phillips, he's our local athlete. He's trying to qualify for Kona this year, and he's had a second at Ironman Barcelona. Uh, he won Taupo seventy point three, and then the next system that won't count for anything. And then he's going to have to do um, Ironman New Zealand. Happy New Year, Joe. <laughs> and uh, and I, realistically, he might have a chance of winning Ironman New Zealand, but it's a it's a big ask. And um, he's one of the athletes where the system might not work for him. Mm, it's, it's interesting times. Interesting times. Okay. Uh, other piece of news. And John, I am happy because it looks like Gomez is racing Ironman this year. He is, and he is someone who's really well. He's not going to actually get the advantage out of the new system because he will have to. I know the current system does have the seventy point three champs. Yeah, does qualify. Yeah. So he just, he just needs to go and validate somewhere. Yeah. Whereas someone like Brownlee, uh, if he wants to qualify, he's going to have to go and do a lot more racing than Gomez. So smart racing by winning that 70.3 champs last year. But he oh, hasn't said where he's going to race. Racing. Yeah, hasn't, uh, hasn't decided where he's going to race, but it'll be interesting to see what he does. See, that's where I like next year's system better because then if Brownlee goes, you know what? Oh, no, he's probably not going to do it in the year before the Olympics. Mm. But let's just say it was this year. And here he goes, you know what? I'm going to try an Ironman. Wins it because he's a legend. Mm -hmm. And then he could turn up. Mm. And then you had Brownlee and Gomez and everyone there. The Brownlee fact is going to be fascinating because he is going to have to do two Ironmans unless he goes and does a regional championships. And that would be his way in. And what do you mean he has to do two Ironmen? To get enough points to qualify. Oh, for this year? Yeah. Why don't it happening? Yeah. But if he went and did... Um, South Africa or Asia Pacific champs or the European champs, uh, then he could, uh, you know, you win that in your automatic slot. And if you do even get in the top three, you got quite a lot of points to, to push towards it. So, hmm. I wish he was there. Mm. If Brownlee was there, it'd be the best Ironman ever. It would be fantastic. It would be pretty fascinating. This year's was pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. But it seems like we've got lots of athletes. Frodo's had an interesting moment in his career. You know, oh, he's still there. He's just, he was oh, injured. you wouldn't write him off. Yeah, but it's it's like two years ago last year, it, it was a bit of a given. Mm -hmm. And now he had a bad race this year, but the times the guys did were pretty great. Mm -hmm. So, and then you bring Gomez into it, and if we had Brownlee, oh, John, it's a good pretty. question. Would Frodo have won this year? If uh, God, that would have been interesting. You've just brought up another good point. I'm, I'm on fire. I'm quitting. So, I'm from, quitting from memory, Frodo was in front of. Um, no, it was, of course he was in front of um, Langer. Langer. Yep. But he can run as fast as Langer if he's having a great day. But he hasn't ran as fast as Langer. No, he hasn't. No. God, that would have been interesting to see if you know you've got Langer. If he hadn't a blind ca catching up to Frodo when Frodo's running well. Yeah. And the push comes on whether he would have been able to handle it. 
I'm thinking he would have. But we don't know because Frodo's never know. actually ran as fast as Langer. No. Now, we assume he can because he's a legend mm. and he hasn't been pushed in that moment. And as an athlete, he's proven that he can deliver on those moments when he's pushed. But Damn you, Jan Frodeno. That would have been epic. Oh, it was pretty epic anyway, wasn't it? It would have been. Oh, John. I'm just going to keep talking today because you're <laughs> loving what I'm saying. Okay, John, we got an email through from Mark Thatcher just saying that it's some exciting financial news for you. And basically, Wanda is having to spin off WTC and it looks like what they're going to do is they're going to do a public offering so we can own a bit of WTC so we in the words of Donald Trump sometimes some of the stuff that comes out of this podcast is maybe fake news or stuff we <laughs> have we haven't necessarily <laughs> I think fake news is when you deliberately make it up and okay. more, ours is more incompetency Incom- <laughs> there you go another good point <laughs> uh, incompetency we don't necessarily research all the stories 100% and May have okay, well, what basically what's happened is last is year Chinese regulators... This, no, is, this is reputable because it comes from Reuters.com. Yeah, so last year Chinese regulators told banks to stop provide funding to several of its overseas acquisitions as Beijing looks to curb the conglomerate's offshore buying spree. So basically the government's gone and said, well, no, we're not really quite sure about you buying all these things overseas and we want you to, to basically said to the banks, mm, maybe don't let them borrow so much money. And so for this reason, shortly after, Wanda sold a portfolio of hotels, tourism assets, including 13 theme parks for $9 billion. Whoa. Five flagship restaurants and so on. So they're basically trying to get a bit of cash. And a part of this is to offload um, two businesses. One is Wanda, or one is WTC. So they bought it for $650 million and it looks like they're going to do a public share offering. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with these shares. Bottom line, don't think it's going to affect us too much, is it? But it's, it is interesting, but it's not really going to affect us too much. You wouldn't have well, thought. Well, well, maybe it will because there's a difference in how a business is run as a shareholding, as in mm-hmm. private equity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Secondly, we're going to get some pretty interesting insight if it does become a publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. You know, like like interesting. Going back to the point we were talking about earlier with Thorsten's article. In his article, he brings up this good point that the prize money has gone down six percent last year. Mm. In one year, you know, so stuff like that. Now we, you know, once we, you can see the financials of a public traded company. So we really be able to see how this business works, and um, you know, we assume it's a pretty successful business, but you don't know until you see the financials. So it'll be good for insight and clarity for us, the users of the product. Very good. Okay, Jumbo. Um, what else we got here? We've got that's pretty much it. This week's discussion. So last what are you laughing at? Uh, so uh, I was just having a look at so the discussion that Bevan put up before Christmas was oh, that's right. um, we want you to share your celebration workout like a Christmas Day workout. And the Holy Hammers hijacked his, uh, his wife's account and he's managed to post on Facebook, possibly for the first time ever. Under her? Yes, oh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do Facebook? No, he's under Maria Lapworth. So Maria oh. Lapworth, <laughs> Mrs. Holy Hammer. Uh, hey, Murray, that's cheating. You're on Facebook now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might be able to say to people, oh, I don't do Facebook. But when you can't into your wives, <laughs> that's almost worse. <laughs> so, so there we go. The last two years on Christmas Eve, oh, maybe this is Maria commenting on here. Uh, so maybe we take all that back. Oh, sorry, Murray. The last two years on Christmas Eve, Murray has asked the family what time we're getting up for Christmas Day, and the response has been 10 a.m. 10 a.m. So Christmas morning, the last two years, he has been on a hill run for two hours, 30 minutes, 
back in time to rehydrate on Shampers. Now, I have a feeling that he's tried to write that. Under, under, you, under, under, you rec- oh, really? Okay. Under Maria's name, as if Maria was writing that, but in fact, he wrote it. Bloody the holy hammer. Joey Spriggins, Joey Spriggins got, I treat myself to a marathon on Christmas morning, out of the house at 6.30 a.m., 23 miles, then finish off with park run. It's <laughs> pretty impressive. Uh, running with one of my best mates this year. And then they're back in time for Bricky, and then someone's got underneath it. Joe, you surely couldn't manage 50k tomorrow. And then Graham Sutherland's got lazy. <laughs> Mark Adrian Hernandez, a hilly 100k ride to jumpstart Raffers. Hashtag Festival 500. Do you reckon it's Kerfin? Is that? Is it Kerfin? Kefrin? Kefrin, is that? Uh, we do track session called the 12 Days of Christmas, 12 intervals with 60 seconds rest between each, starting at 1200 metres each. Uh, reducing by 100 metres for each day, aiming to hold 5k pace for each. It's fun, trust me. Or if you want to make it really fun, start at 100 metres and work your way to 1200. That's a good session, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a really good session. I like that one. Uh, Vince Sisto, Christmas morning, I celebrate with the 12Ks of Christmas. Good old Dave Frost got 70k bike ride. Then uh, Christine Craig's got ride by the hospital and bring us some chocolate. Dave Frost got Christine, I'll be in Rotorua. <laughs> so <laughs> bad luck. Karen Telford, well, this Christmas day, my husband is working day shifts. So I'll be home alone with our two dogs and I think I'll try out a bike workout via the Ruby app. Haven't heard of that. Mm, nice. Um, Lynette Wines got here in Dubai. It's a Christmas tradition to do a sea swim costume optional. Lots of expats having a bit of fun with it. Kevin Hunt's got a couple of posts. Uh, the week before Christmas, they do the uh, the Beer Mile. Drew Scott won it last year. I don't know who won it this year. This is a Christchurch space thing. And on Christmas Day, Drew Scott is in Dave Scott's son. Yeah, was he here? Yeah, he was. I remember, um, I remember um, Dave, no, Daniel McDonald put it on one year. It was a big event. Yeah, no, they still... They have still you done work. it? I have not, no. Not How do you reckon you go? Not very well. Uh, Kevin Hunt also said, sea swim with Canterbury Tri Club, followed by carols on the pontoon moored in the bay. Do they do a sea swim? Yeah, on Christmas Day. Did you do it? No, oh, you're away. Yeah. Uh, Jai Iverson, uh, typically spend most of the day doing strength workouts, high reps, lightweight bicep curls, with bottles that slowly get lighter before being replaced for the next set. Love your work there. Uh, Tony West says a 4K swim on the 23rd, a 20K run on the 24th, and a long walk on the 25th and 26th. Only Christmas Day workout is moving food around. I'm the chef on the Christmas family relaxes. Mark Aiden Adrian Hernandez has got a... I've, I've done that. Oh, he's in the first fest of 500. Do you know about that? No. Five days, 500 Ks. Okay. Yeah, a friend of mine did it. It's kind of nice. cool. Have you done Vince Sesto? I started from the bottom and started working oh, okay. my way up. Well, let's make sure we've got everyone. Have you done Thierry? No, I have not done Thierry. Thierry, how do you say his last name? Bernice? Best of day. Dirty little secret. Dirty little secret. Uh, Christmas Day is always a day for cross-country skiing. It's a great winter alternative sport for triathletes. Oh, the last, I'll give the last one. It's a goodie. Ben Psala will be in Club La Sienta in Lanzarote. So we'll make use of their 50-meter pool to attempt 100 100s off 100 seconds until I can't do any more. Probably not that many, although I'm hoping to get to 30. Oh, I was going to say, if you did 100 100s on 140, that is... No, I don't think he says 100. He says 100s off 100 seconds right. until you can't do any more. Oh, I was going to say, you do 100 100s on 140. You're okay, have me, okay well. John, here's the challenge. When you were doing your 100 100s, what were you doing them on? The, when we did them in France, and that was when I was swimming pretty well. And this is when you're, you're 40th. Oh, no, when, when, when my 40th... Geez, that was uh, I was only doing them on one forty-five. Okay, when you're doing them in France, when you're young, we did a hundred, and we did every twentieth one backstroke, and we did uh, we did lots of twenty. 
I think well, yeah, we did them, we did them lots of twenty, twenty on one thirty, twenty on one twenty five, twenty on one twenty, twenty. Oh, so on got faster as you went. Twenty on one thirty, so faster to the middle when they. Oh, start. okay, so pyramid kind of. And then uh, yeah, every twentieth one you got a rest with some backstroke and you got some jelly beans. How was that? That was okay, but I was swimming pretty fast then. Okay, John, if you were to go one hundreds, like he's done it here, just as many as you can do on two minutes. How many do you reckon you could do? Oh, until your shoulders blow out. Yeah, well, how long is it? How many? <laughs> well, 10K is a lot. 100, 100. Yeah, if I was in, say, rote fitness from last year. You can do it 15K? Easy. Easy? Not easy, no. <laughs> but I did 100. Um, on 145? On 145. So I'd say you get 20K if you pushed, probably more. But it, you just, it'd just be until your rotator cuffs blow out. <laughs> until you end up in hospital. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a good don't, if, don't, if, don't try this at home. If you ask me to do it now, yeah, I don't think I'd make a hundred. <laughs> I don't reckon I'd make four. Yeah. Two minutes. Oh god, I'd hate to think of what I could do hundred meters in right now. Okay, this week's discussion. So we're doing a theoretical race. It's over a half Ironman race, and we're gonna have a male and female race and who wins and why. And the guys we've got who, John? Brownlee versus Gomez versus Frodo versus Sanders. And then in the girls we've got Reef versus Duffy versus Spirig versus Lawrence. Just give us your top four. So place it one, two, three, four. Yeah. You know, and why you're going with what you're going with. God, that's a pretty hard yeah, one. Great to race. Sanders is going to be just <laughs> so far behind out of the swim. It's just. And if they work together on the bike, he's screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Remember they had um, Peter Reed and. Tim DeBoom. They did a one on one race. Mm. That was a bit of a not event, wasn't it? One on one in such a long distance race. Doesn't really work, but hey. Okay, John, let's do it. Three, two, one. Stats-tastic. It's fantastic. fantastic. We've got an email through from Dave Ver... Vesheren? Vesheren. Belgium. And he's just going, do we want the times for the other countries? Because we've done a few of the countries for the best Ironman times and outside of Kona and in Kona. And he's got his Belgium athletes for and us. So I don't think we did Belgium. So mm. I thought, yes, Dave, fantastic work. And again... We have not. I have not fact checked this one hundred percent, but it looks pretty <laughs> it good news. to me. Uh, so, for the Belgium, for all time fastest Ironman, you have Marino van Honecker in Austria with a seven forty five fifty eight in twenty eleven. Second place, you have Luke van Leerd when he broke the record at Rote. I think it was it was definitely still Ironman Rote back then. When when, when van Honecker broke, was it the fastest time in two thousand eleven? I because Rayleigh did. I think not. Okay. Or did it was it within a week or two? Yeah, there was a period like where lots of fast times happened, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah. So because uh, Van Leer's time set forever, didn't it? Mm. And wrote that, that seven fifty was around for probably a good ten fifteen years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Around for a long time. So Luke Van Leer uh, wrote seven fifty in nineteen ninety seven. Bart Arnott's uh, did seven fifty nine uh, in wrote. This year and twenty seven or last year in twenty seventeen. Freddie Van Leerd, Frankfurt, eight hours and twenty five seconds, and Rudkabiki, eight hours eighteen. Geez, Belgium I mean Belgium's a hotbed for cycling, but God, when you go through that list, yeah, some good athletes, some isn't it? Legendary yeah. athletes there. You've got yeah. Awesome. Uh, then on the guys' side of things in Kona, you have Luke Van Leerd, who won uh, the race uh, in 8.04.08. And again, another record that stood for a long time. Mm. It wasn't Crowe to Crowe beat it, Crow was took it? that. Yeah. Uh, Frederick Van Leerd, when he won it, he went 8.12.29. Marino Van Holnacker has been 8.13. Bart Arnotts went 8.20. And Rudka Beeky was only ranked fifth with his 8.21. He was on the podium a couple of times, so... Um, yeah, very res- very respectable, you Belgians. On the girls' side of things, um, 
a lot less there. Sophie Goss uh, was the fastest all time, only sub nine as far as Dave can see, with Klangenfurt in 8.57 in 2015. And second was Tina Dickers in 9.06. But she had the faster Kona time. She did. So then when it comes to Kona, Tina Dickers, uh, 9.28, she finished 12th. And uh, Sophie Goss with a 9.36 finished in 20th in 2013. So there you go, Belgium. You guys are rock stars. Yeah, really are. Okay, John, let's talk about a sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. I was talking to an athlete yesterday, and he said, uh, I forgot to take my Extreme Endurance away at Christmas time when mm. I was out of town, and you really do notice a difference. <laughs> really? So he said, geez, uh, you know, you take it, and you think, you hope it's making a difference, and uh, when you come off it a bit, you go, it really is making a difference. Mm-hmm. Clinically proven to reduce lactic acid by 26%, 39% reduction in oxidative stress, six times lowering of CK levels, improves aerobic threshold by double digits, benefits within 72 hours. Key thing that we've been seeing a lot of of late was people being busted for drugs, but with uh, extreme endurance, it's uh, approved with informed sport and informed choice certified and guaranteed free of banned substances. And if you've got asthma, you can use it, John. Yes, <laughs> apparently, apparently it's really good if you've got asthma. Yes. <laughs> so uh, get on it, team. I am Talk20 is the promo code to get yourself 20% discount. So start your way, your year, in a good way. A bit like Bevan started really strong with his uh, opinions and insight oh, this year. Fire. You guys can uh, get the lift with Extreme Endurance. Check it out, xendurance.com or the .eu site or if you're in New Zealand. And what's discount code? I am Talk20. If you're in New Zealand, uh, you can get it off me. Check it out, xendurance.com. Okay, John, we're going to interview up with Elizabeth Model and John Ragg. They are two crazy Ironman athletes. Righto, team, welcome along to, I've got a pretty exciting interview today with two kind of legends of the sport of Ironman uh, for a kind of an extreme reason. So welcome along to Elizabeth Model and John Ragg. How are you going, guys? We're good, thanks. So, uh, so uh, where, where do we start? You guys have got such a long story. Maybe we'll start with John's journey into Ironman. How did how did it all start for you, John? Um, it all started back in uh, 1986. Our fitness uh, club had a intro race, and what we did, we swam 16 laps of the pool. They recorded our time, and then we went to the shopping mall. And we rode 10 laps around the shopping center. Then we went back to the gym and we ran two loops around the neighborhood. (laughs) And they added up our time. And that was a start. But uh, a guy by the name of Graham Fraser started out the Ontario Triathlon Series in 1986. And we raced uh, Olympic distance and sprint in 1986 and 1987. And then 1988... there were three Ironmans, no, there were five Ironmans worldwide in 1988. There was Kona, Hawaii, Penticton, British Columbia, um, Auckland, New Zealand. There was Japan, Lake Biwa, Japan, and wrote Germany. And that year I had a bet with a guy and uh, I ended up doing them all and winning the bet. So that was basically the start of uh, my career. So, so before that moment, were you always a very fit person? Um. I played uh, a lot of hockey. We grew up, like most people here in Canada, grow up playing hockey. We played a little bit of baseball. Um, I was involved in running track and swimming in high school. So that gave me a little bit of basis, but I was always an active kid. We we played a lot. Um, 
we were always out outdoors doing sports. So um, we, we caught on to the sport fairly fast. Because, you know, around that kind of early to mid-80s is when triathlon really started to make an impact. So had you seen it coming along and was it something you are always interested in or was it purely just because the, the gym had the challenge and then suddenly they opened your eyes to it? Um, well, the, the changes have been absolutely phenomenal. I remember my first race um, at Ironman distance was Auckland, New Zealand in 1988. It was St. Helier's Bay. Yeah. And Paul Gleason was the race director. And I believe Scott Tinley and Ray Browning were the one, two finishers of that race. Uh, <clears throat> that was really the start of it. But what, what is interesting is that there were only 251 entries in that race in 1988. Yeah. And now you go to the races and you've got two to 3,000 people. Yeah. Uh, it was very different back then. And uh, we didn't have aero bars. We had basic swimsuits that we were using um but now technology has really changed the sport a lot um the kids now have a have a huge advantage uh, over what we had in the early years can you describe what it was like you know because nowadays you, you guys know you've done so many of them but the, the, you know the corporation has done a really good job of creating a consistent experience while the environments may change based on locations, you know, you, you kind of know you're going to get good, a professional level of experience when you go to an Ironman race. What was the experience like to do an Ironman, to actually do the race back when you only had maybe 200 people doing the race? Um, it was definitely smaller. Um, <clears throat> I remember that first race in Auckland. Uh, we didn't have aero bars. We had, um, we grew up on um, Italian road bikes yeah. which had <laughs> steel frames yeah. <laughs> now i look at these bicycles that the kids have and they're made of carbon fiber and disc wheels and all this kind of stuff my first bicycle i bought was a lignano grand premio in 1963 that cost 110 dollars <laughs> and that was a whole bike <laughs> now i'm thinking yeah, there's not a lot you can buy now for, for that kind of money. Um, <laughs> you can buy a pedal. Yeah, technology, <laughs> technology has really, really, uh, I, I think it's made it better uh, for the sport. You've got, we got into using heart rate monitors. We're using power meters now. We're doing all kinds of really neat stuff with compu trainers, et cetera. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's probably more fun because of those technological advances. Um. What was it like to finish your first Ironman? Um, it was the, the first one, I guess, is the most memorable. But my my most my best memory was uh, <clears throat> 2013 in Kona when Elizabeth and I finished uh, Ironman Hawaii together at the finish line. I think the first one, yeah, it was. It was that that's the one I remember um, the most was, was Hawaii and and uh, I, I think just doing it together was was really it was unique and uh, but that first race in New Zealand um, the old course in St Helier's Bay was kind of it, it was interesting it was a tough course mm -hmm. and um, this year Elizabeth and I will be back in Lake Taupo I believe that's the fourth of March to do the Ironman New Zealand, which is one of my favorites in the world. Um, I'll also be down in uh, Wanaka two weeks before that to do Challenge Wanaka, but 
that's that's one of our favorite uh, travel destinations and and the, the scenery I, I tell you you guys have probably some of the best race courses and scenery in the world to to really you're lucky to have um all those beautiful mountains and etc to 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 watch when you ride um, so 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 john just how many races have you done to this point in time um from 1986 uh i only used to race two or three ironmans a year um in the early years and the big deal was to try to qualify for kona um Elizabeth and I finished uh, Ironman. It was in Argentina. Uh, just it was two weeks ago, um, December the second. We raced Argentina, yep. which was the inaugural event. That was number, I think, eighty-two for Elizabeth. That was number two hundred and thirty-two for me. <laughs> wow, um, two hundred and thirty-two full-distance Ironmans. Um, and next year I'll be in Kona to do my fifteenth. Iron Man in Hawaii. Wow, that's, that's mind blowing. So, at what point did the, this kind of obsession of kind of doing so, you know, because you kind of, I know the first year, I've, you know, the first year you did all five, and then you kind of was a kind of a part, well, I wouldn't call it part time, two Iron Man a year, it was hardly part time, but it was, you know, it was kind of just a, a habit you had. At what point did you kind of go, I'm going to be the person who does every race ever, and also I'm going to do an extreme amount every year? What, what, how'd that happen? Um, <clears throat> I never set out to do the most. Um, my my goal was just to get to Kona, and I guess my first goal was in Road Germany to try to break ten hours in nineteen. I guess that was nineteen ninety two. Um, I never set out to do the most, and I guess it became a bit of a a bit of an addiction. Um, but I guess there's worse addictions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's worse addictions than working out and going to the gym every day. It ain't, it ain't heroin, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that Lionel Sanders would attest to that yeah, theory. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, he was second in Kona. I had a chat with him after the race. But um, I think it's it's a good habit to get into. Uh, Elizabeth and I went to the gym this morning and. We had a beautiful 50 meter pool to work out in. Um, and yeah, it, it's a good habit to get into. Um, and now that I'm retired, um, it gives me something to uh, to work forward to. But, but was there a moment where you actually thought, I am going to be the person? Like, is there a defining moment, or did you just kind of, did it sneak up on you where, where you suddenly were going to be the person who's done the most and have done every race? Um, I, I guess it sort of snuck up on me. Um, my my good friend Louis Alvarez from Mexico has done 140, 45, and uh, he wants to be number one. But as long as I'm doing it, I think that um, he's going to have a challenge for that <laughs> position. <laughs> he's going to have a bit of a challenge. Um, I think really the the real goal that um, both Elizabeth and I wanted to achieve was having done all the Ironmans in the entire world. Yeah. Um, which accounts like right now there's 42 different races in the world, but there's also approximately 16 that have been discontinued. Yeah. So we probably finished um, since the original uh, course in, in Kona, uh, we probably done close to 55 or 56 different venues on six continents. Wow. And 
we also had a fascinating experience uh, four years ago. We did the Antarctic Marathon. Oh, wow. Uh, so we can say that uh, that we've done a marathon on all seven continents. Wow. And that was kind of cool to finish um, in Antarctica. Uh, we sailed from Ushuaia, Argentina on two Russian ships. And uh, we did the race. It was more of an obstacle course. Uh, it, was, it wasn't... Uh, it was an obstacle course, but but it really was interesting to, um, and I think one of the interesting things with doing this sport, you get to dip, you get to see different cultures. Uh, we've been on um, seven continents, uh, done a lot of racing in Europe, um, raced um, Brazil, South Africa, um, Argentina. We've raced uh, New Zealand. We love we love traveling to uh, Australia. Mm-hmm. And and meeting people from different cultures has been a, a, just a wonderful experience for us. What was it like when you when you popped up for like the one hundred and the two hundred? Um, <laughs> well, for the hundredth, uh, that was in Malaysia, and Elizabeth got me. Can you see this ring? Um, oh, I, I have seen it on the video. I'm not. I can't see your screen right now, but I, I, I've seen a video where you showed the Iron Man okay. ring. Yes, I do. It's an Iron. It's a ring with the Iron Man, isn't it? Yeah, Elizabeth um, has a matching ring, but uh, she got those two made up for my 100th in in Langkawi, Malaysia. Oh wow! And um, our 200th was in uh, Cozumel, Mexico. And we had a sign made up by my coach <laughs> as we crossed the finish line. We held the sign up. And uh, that, that was kind of interesting to do uh, two of them. But uh, anyway, yeah, I got a question for you. Okay. Um, Iron Man is 140 miles long. Uh, it's 25,000 miles around the world. So how many Ironmans does it take to go around the world once? Oh, mate, you're throwing mess at me at this moment. <laughs> I, I, um, wait a second. I don't know, but I think you have the answer. Tell me. It's 177. Wow. So you've been around the world doing Iron Man. That's trivia. That's <laughs> we've, so we've done a lap around the, the world. Wow. <laughs> wow. Is, is Elizabeth close to the microphone? Yes, she is. I sure am. Oh, great, great, great. Elizabeth, I wasn't sure if I was, you were there or not. Um, Elizabeth, can you tell the story of how you guys met? Oh, well, I... I started Ironman in 2005. I met a couple of ladies in the gym who've done several, and um, we ran a marathon together. I just met them in the gym, and I said, oh, who, who's done this marathon? But uh, long story short, they convinced me to, to go up to Penticton here in Canada when the Ironman was um, hosted at, in Penticton. And uh, I actually had uh, signed up for my second race before I did my first uh, just because I absolutely love the training and the discipline. And I was just a straight marathoner before. But uh, So those two ladies who got me to do that ended up crashing on their bikes, and they signed up for Arizona. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm coming with you because um, I love to travel, and uh, let's all go do Arizona together. So I went to Arizona, and I was at least a couple hours ahead of them. I got hungry, and I went into the mess tent, and um, and uh, was waiting, and I thought to myself, well, I'm going to sit with somebody who looks friendly, and and uh, <laughs> I just happened to be walking along, and uh, John here had his back towards me, turned around, and he smiled, and I thought, oh, there's a friendly face. I'll go over and say hello, and I went over and introduced myself, 
we chatted for about 15, 20 minutes. And there was instantly a connection between John and myself. He was with a buddy, but um, there was no question in my mind that there was a connection. I didn't know if he was married or single. He didn't know anything about me either. And um, after the race, when I left him, uh, because I knew my girlfriends were about ready to come in, he knew my name and he knew where I lived. And I couldn't remember his name, but um, after I got back home, about a week later, uh, I got a call and my son answered the phone. And um, at the time, John said he heard this deep male voice and he thought, oh, crap. Oh, I thought yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I totally misread this. But then it was, Mom, the phone's for you. And um, and I answered the phone and, and uh, this deep voice, John has a very distinctive voice, said, um, I don't know if you remember me. I said, I know exactly who you are, but uh, I just can't remember your name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so long story short, fast forward, we talked for close to 14 hours. It was definitely a connection. Um, John was single. I was single. And our first date, we decided that John would fly out to Vancouver. I'd pick him up and we'd run Vancouver Marathon together, which we did. We fell in love and the rest was history. And we've been together 12, I guess we're going on 13 years now. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. cool. So for you, when you know, like, did you know John's kind of crazy journey? Oh, obviously, you learned pretty quickly. And did you kind of realize that meant you were going to be signing up to this crazy journey yourself? No, I actually didn't. But what was interesting when I met John, he asked me at the very first meeting in Arizona, he said, when's your next race? And I said, oh, um, the girls and I are going to South Africa next year. And do you want to come? Because it's always been about the people you meet along the, yeah. the journey of life and the more the merrier because I like um, I like a house full. I like lots of people. Um, and I was hooked on this board already. And so I asked him at the time when we met, I said, how many you've done? And he said, oh, a few. So he didn't say specifically, but I think if he told me the truth right from the very beginning, I would have gone, holy crap, <laughs> I, I, this guy's just way beyond where I'm going to go. But he was in his 70s when, um, when I met him. And the impact of what he'd done didn't really, I didn't really feel it until I went to visit him in Ontario, because I live in British Columbia. That was like New York and LA. That's yeah. how far we are apart from each other. And then I walked into his um his room and I saw all the medals on the wall and it was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and then it was a case of, well, how many have you done? And then it was like 77 or 78. And, and I realized the impact and all his Kona medals and his shirts. And I went, Oh my gosh, what have I signed up for? But then I already loved him. So the rest was history. <laughs> and and, and uh, have you completed every race yourself now? I, I did until this year. I had an accident a couple of years ago, and I've got some hardware in my leg. Okay. And unfortunately, it circled back. There's some bacteria in that hardware. Mm. And unbeknownst to me, it actually blew up on me this year um, when I was uh, two days before Ironman Hamburg. And I had to come home in an emergency um, situation. And I'm still fighting with that infection. Although, and then in Italy, my, my stem and my... Um, on my bike fell apart. So I went for a massive crash on my bike and I separated my shoulder and broke a couple of ribs. But with the exception of those two races, I've done them all. But, but having said that, I'm getting the hardware out on the 26th of this month. So I'm scheduled because I'm still 
fighting this infection four months later. I have, I have no doubt you're going to be back on that list of the people who have completed all the races. Maybe, maybe a question for both of you is what are some of the kind of lessons about life that this journey has taught you? What I'm sorry, we I, we didn't get that last part. What what, what kind oh, of what kind of wisdom or lessons in life has this journey really taught you? John, you want to go first? Um, okay. Um, there's the good news and there's the bad news. Um, I think <laughs> the good news is you you don't uh, you you get uh, out there on the race course and you have a good race. Um, but I think you really find out about yourself and what you're all about when, when you experience bad times. Mm. Um, I was run over by a truck in 2008 oh, really? and I spent two years in and out of hospitals having, uh, major surgeries. I have, uh, an artificial hip, total hip replacement, and I can still finish the race. I can still walk and I can still do Ironman, but I think it's those setbacks that make you um, more aware and you appreciate, I appreciate now finding the finish line um, at before the fireworks go off at midnight. Um, when I was racing early in my career, if I didn't break 10 hours, I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, now, if I can finish and do the thing, um, I'm happy. So I think you really find out about yourself during those bad times when um, the doctor who did my surgery uh, told me that I would not do any more Ironmans. He said I had to go and find another sport. So I went out and found another doctor. And <laughs> I went out and found another doctor and I got a second opinion. And <clears throat> I think you have to have the, the, the whole, I guess the, um, the take home message here would be uh, a positive mental attitude, I think will get you down that road of life. And people who try to tell you that you can't do something, um, you really have to let that roll off your back. Unfortunately, I did not believe um, the doctors that told me that I could not do any more racing. I can't run anymore, but I can walk pretty damn fast. And mm -hmm. I think um, Ken Gloss said something to me, which which I will share with you at this point. Um, Iron Man is not all about who is the fittest or the fastest. It's who is the toughest mentally. Mm -hmm. And it really becomes a matter of uh, a positive mental focus to get you across that line. Mm -hmm. um, I think the people, the, the one common denominator that I see uh, of successful athletes is that they have a very, very positive mindset and and very driven, very positive, and and those, I guess they've evaded a lot of those potholes along the road of life and been successful. Um, you know, you know, the road to success is not a straight line. There are some real dips and curves in that, and mm. I, I think that positive attitude is really what's been um, driving my myself to continue in the sport. And, and I think that's really the take-home message here. And for you, Elizabeth? For me, it's all about uh, the travel, the people I meet along the journey of life. And it, for me, as I've gotten older as well, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing 60 now, 
and I've certainly slowed down a lot. And it's not so much about the time, but the enjoyment of the race, taking in the crowds. But I transition it also to my life and to my work because I'm still working. I'm not retired. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, whatever is thrown your way in life, um, of life challenges, you're able to take the higher road and the bigger picture because you know that you're an Iron Man, and that is probably one of the toughest things you've ever going to do in your life. Mm. And so as much as, as uh, work issues come up and life issues come up, you can always fall back on saying, you know what, I'm an Iron Man. If I can do an Iron Man, I can challenge myself to do anything in life. Mm. And nothing's too big or too big picture or too hard or too difficult to do. So that's my fallback for, for, for everything. And, and, um, and I mean, it's given me so much that I'm so grateful for friendships, family, um, you know, the love of my life and, um, just a whole lot of fun. And, and, um, experiences that uh, most people probably um, don't experience or, or understand um, but it it really does broaden your horizons um, regards to training um, maybe John can answer this one how do you guys train um, you know like is it is it like we interviewed um, I can't remember who we interviewed a couple months ago but he was one of the ones who has also done all the races and um, what was his name you know Who's the yeah, 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 Jeff. And, and he basically said, I don't train. <laughs> we, we were like, what? Um, you know, so what do you guys do for your training? Um, maybe I'll start out with this. Um, my my background, a lot of it is uh, cross-country skiing. Oh, okay. And so in the wintertime, um, I try to get out and do uh, as much cross-country skiing as possible uh, as a change from Today we went to the gym and we were swimming in a beautiful 50 meter pool and sitting on a stationary bike <laughs> on a treadmill. Uh, that tends to get a little bit boring, but I think uh, the travel and, and one interesting uh, sidelight here is um, I was down in Wanaka uh, on the first or second of, I believe it was September, to do the Merino Muster, which is um, New Zealand's entry into the World Lopet Cross Country Ski Federation race, and also in Australia, uh, the end of August. Um, and I think having a change of venue is really good training, and, and it's healthy, because I think if you're sitting on a bike for 12 months of the year, you can pretty much burn out. Yeah. And we do a lot in, in, in uh, Canada, um, we can get out and ski in the winter a little bit, but it, it, I find it extremely uh, boring to be on a stationary bike or a treadmill or an indoor track. Um, we, we try to get outdoors as much as possible, but, but I think doing, doing the skiing in the winter has been really good for, for both of us. Mm. Um, and for yeah. you, Elizabeth? And for myself, because I'm still working, I'm up at uh, 4.30, quarter to 5 every morning. I'm in the gym. I do my workout before work, and so usually two and a half hours or so, and it's a combination of weights and core work and then the swim bike run. Uh, but any time I can get outside, as John said, I mean, we've got thick snow, and it's like minus eight this morning. So it's cold here, so it's yeah. just kind of out and and uh, I won't run an ice and or do anything stupid like that so then it gets to treadmill work and um, yeah it gets pretty boring in the winter time but uh, as John said we do because I I, um, I actually broke my leg cross-country skiing 
Um, so I'm a little bit more cautious with cross-country skiing and I do some snowshoeing as well and just try and get out in the snow and enjoy the seasons and the change. But honestly, I can't wait for the spring to, to come for lighter days because, I mean, it's dark at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and it doesn't get light till 8 o'clock in the morning now. So uh, just just um, just living so far north here, um, we, we wait uh, with bated breath um, till the spring. And uh, I'm not I don't go out as much as John because I work so much. And um, so many a time I'll spend three or four hours in a wind trainer in front of the TV um, in the winter time on the weekends. Yeah, so it's not exciting, but you just got to get the job done. Yeah, it's all going to be inside training for for the race in um, the first race of the year, which is New Zealand for me too. All inside. Which, which for someone who has the luxury of being able to train all year round, it, it's kind of a hard thing to comprehend. Um, the question, the question I have for both of you, and we're going to start with Elizabeth with this one, is you you obviously have a lot of love in your relationship, and you know there's a lot of listeners to the show who. Uh, in couples who love the sport and we also have people who don't have a partner who does the sport and that's always challenging in itself what would be some of the advice that you'd give around maintaining a quality relationship um, when you're doing a sport that is so consuming um it's it's well first of all it's really really hard for somebody who doesn't do the sport but if you have a partner who's active um you know then then i think there's an understanding um, about that but the quality of relationship you know the couple that plays together stays together mm-hmm. and that's my go-to statement so you really have to find a common bond and and niche out time quality time for yourself away from the sport so as John and I still live in opposite ends of the country just due to work and and our family lives and and um, you know aging parents etc um, that will change, obviously, at some point in time and, and as I wind down to retirement. Many a time, we won't see each other for six or eight weeks. Oh, wow. But we, we do talk on the phone almost <clears throat> every single day. And when we are together, we make it count. And John and I send each other little notes and cards and and tell each other how much we appreciate each other. I think when you've been single for a number of years yourself, and when you have a great relationship that gives each other the freedom and the understanding of the time away, the quality time together really, really counts. And so rather than quantity with each other, I would focus on those couples who, who um, don't necessarily do the sport together is to enjoy the quality time you have together. And although you might be tired from a long day of training, your spouse needs that time to keep the healthy relationship alive mm. it's a commitment isn't it to have a good relationship yeah <clears throat> and john your thoughts um i think elizabeth stole one of my lines <laughs> <laughs> the, family, the family that plays together stays together and i really think if you can get out and do things together um it makes it much, much more enjoyable. This morning we went to uh, the gym together and worked out. Um, we also have some very good cycling uh, around the city of Vancouver. Um, but I, I think the times that we can go and do things together, um, I see quite a few of my friends who are involved in Ironman, and I also see um, 
a lot of people who are separated because of it. Mm. And I think it's, it's a huge time commitment. Your, your training is a lot of time. Uh, and I think if one person is involved with it and another is not involved with it, I think it creates a little bit of stress between because there really isn't an understanding of the, the, the psychology is not really understood. Um, I think you have to be involved with it to really understand it. Um, but I, I think one of the one of the great things about having a partner that is involved with it is that um, there is an understanding there, and and I think you really have to experience it to understand it. Um, but yeah, I, I see a lot of couples that are unhappy because one person it, it's a huge time commitment, and you know I think it's really unfair um, for people to spend a huge amount of time um, away from their families, et cetera. If you can get together as a family and go out and be active together as a family, I, I think that really adds to the experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe just lastly, each of you, what's what's one piece of wisdom you'd give to somebody who's maybe newer to the sport? And we'll start with John this time. Um, uh, wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, you know what's interesting? People expect me to have a lot of expertise in this stuff, but I, I, I do have a lot of experience. Um, I, I, w- the wisdom that I would say, I think that the, the discipline and the hard work uh, and the goal setting that is involved in sport also can take you down that road of life in, in terms of your workplace, uh, in business, etc., um, there there is a positive uh, mindset in in achieving a goal of Ironman, and I think the people I think just to try to keep fit is um, is a big is a big goal. But um, in terms of wisdom, um, I, I think it's really helped me to achieve uh, outside of Ironman. I, I think it I think that success. Uh, that you have um, in a sport will breed confidence. And and I grew up as a competitive swimmer as a teenager, and um, I was fairly successful in competitive swimming. And I think that gave me the confidence to go into an interview where I was competing against maybe 20 people and nail a job where um, some people who haven't had that experience or that success uh, may not have had that type of confidence, but I really think that ha- has helped me um, along the road of life to achieve other goals uh, outside of the sport. Yeah, it totally. And, and the lessons you the lessons you learn in the sport, the setbacks, and that um, you learn to overcome obstacles, and um, I think that makes you a stronger person um, when you have to overcome a few. Um, you know, obstacles, I, I think it just makes you stronger in the long run. Yeah, nice. And, and for you, Elizabeth? Uh, for myself, if it's a person who's just starting out and is doing the first Ironman and they say they're doing the first, for me, I always say enjoy the journey. It's not just about the time. It's a journey for your day, and you only do your first once. And so, and it is probably the most memorable race that you will ever do. I know my first was. Um, there, there are literally three races that stand out in my mind um, of the numbers that I've done, and that was my first. 
Yeah. My second where I met John, and of course, when we finished Kona together. Yeah. Some of them, I don't even remember swim starts or the bike course, just because we do so many. Yeah. And some are more memorable than others. But remember your first. Um, and it's not just about your time. Take time to thank the crowds, the people you meet along the way, because... Um, as you grow older in the sport, and if you decide to stay in the sport, you realize it's not about just your time. It's about the experiences and the, and the people and enjoy the crowds and enjoy the journey. And, um, and as I say, you can do the best training in the world and have the worst race day. And you perseverate on the fact you had the worst race day and you'll never do this again or something like that. And you know what? Give it up. There's more to life than just having a number behind a race. It's it's just, you know, you have to shift it up and say, you know what? This might not be the best race ever, but the crowds were great. This was great. And you look for the positive things that, that jump out you. And those are the things that you hold fast and dear to you. And fabulous friendships along the way. I mean, we've got friends all over the world that we keep on Facebook and and then when we say, oh, we're going here, we're going there, and then we meet them again. And uh, it's absolutely wonderful because we all have the main, same mindset. And then John and I also, we take city tours, and we've toured throughout the North Island and the South Island. I started to appreciate, really appreciate good white wine, thanks to you. <laughs> so there yeah. you go. You know? bit our influence on you. We'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did Gibson's. We did the wine tour. And then we, you know, it was just yeah. absolutely, it was absolutely in the Marlboro region. And now that's all I buy for white wine. I just go to the New Zealand because they're the best wines I've ever had in my, white wines I've ever had in my life. Oh, it's good to hear. Hey, well, guys, thank you so much for your time today. You've got such a, a fascinating story, such a kind of a fascinating philosophy and, and way of life, and it's it's just really impressive, and it's an inspiration for you know, many of our listeners, well, all of our listeners out there, and just keep doing what you're doing, and we'll, we'll see those numbers ticking, and who knows where it will stop. Well, Bevan, we hope to meet you um, in uh, at uh, Ironman New Zealand. You won't meet me there, but you might, you'll might. you meet me in Wanaka, because I do the commentary at Wanaka, so you come up and say hello. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, on uh, January the 18th, I'll, I'll be down in Wanaka, and uh, I, we, I hope to meet up and uh, have a chat, and I hope the water's a little bit warmer this year. You know but, what? Uh, you know what? You will. It's already really, we've had the craziest summer here, so it's actually already about two or three degrees higher at the beginning of summer oh. than what it was this time last year, so it may even be tropical for you, John. Oh, wow. Well, we'll appreciate it uh, if it's a little bit warmer than normal. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's been great. It's been a great chat and uh, best wishes and uh, Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, you guys have a wonderful and, Christmas. Uh, good health and keep well and all those things. Thank you, Bevan. Okay, thanks for your time, guys. And we are back, John. They're, they're a pretty awesome couple. They're, they're, it's very impressive. And also just that kind of a relationship built around something that people are passionate about. And you can say, you, you haven't heard the interview, but just people... Just got great perspective in life. It's such a thing about having perspective in life. Mm. You know, it's such an important thing. So hopefully enjoyed that and uh, inspired by what those two are doing. Jombo, just for the, just a comment on the side, um, don't ask John what he got his wife for Christmas. <laughs> 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 okay, let's do um, 
My first try or wanger of the week, John. Wanger of the week. Okay. We are going for the most activities over the Christmas sort of New Year period. Uh, so last week, the most activities on the male side was Shane Duffy with 26 activities. Well, he, he, he actually equaled, but he did a lot more time. Yes. Because good old um, Shane, Shane Louder. Louder. They both did 26. Now, Shane, you need to be doing more, more, more time in your t- activities because... Shane did 26 activities for eight hours. Good old Shane Duffy, who won it, he did 29 hours. <laughs> so he went the long yards. Yeah. Then uh, third place was Joe Skipper with 21 activities with 14 hours of training. On the girl side? Sherry Rooster A uh, did 20 activities. Hey. <laughs> 13 hours. Mel Seltiel did 13 activities tied with Tracy Barr from Christchurch. Did 12, What's Tracy Barr training activities. for? Well, she wasn't at running last night. Sharpen up, Trace. We should have seen his face in. 5K TT, uh, first first Monday of the month. How'd you go, John? It was um, pretty moderate time by myself. <laughs> Not going forward at any rate of knots. Didn't put in a, the, my best effort, I will admit. But uh, basically... Did you take it out, at mar- Running at marathon pace. Did you take it out? Yeah, but the, the Philinator and Tyrone and stuff weren't there. The b- bigger question is... How's that 60-minute 5K coming along? I did it last night. Just, down, <laughs> oh, did just downplaying it. <laughs> just playing. As Murray, Murray uh, the Holy Hammer, said when he came in, PB for 2018. <laughs> 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 nice week, Holy Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always, always about perspective, John. Okay, questions and answers. And good old um, James Bale sent through this one. He's got, guys, love your work. After a year, about a year ago, I emailed you because my dad finally recovered from a brain hemorrhage after a long journey and was signed up to join me and a friend for a relay in the 70.3 to mark his success, raise money and get back to fitness. I followed up this with another email saying that he had to withdraw from the race for personal reasons so he never got to be age grouper of the week. Well, a couple months ago, my dad finally managed to mark his recovery and return his fitness by completing a 10-mile road run in. And it's a Ricky Road run here in the UK on the 29th of October. I know it's not triathlon, but he held up well, finishing in 1 hours and 31 minutes at the age of 59, following major brain surgery and a tough time of year. Is there any chance that this could mark as, as he could be, really happily be the age group of the week? So we should say age group of the week. His name is Tim Bale and he is a consistent inspiration in my sporting endeavours since I can remember. So, Tim, you're a bloody legend. Nice work. It's, it's, it's so important when we have these big life things happen to get back to what's important mm. to you. And, you know, when you had brain surgery, like, I can't even comprehend what it's like to go through that. Nor can I. But to get back to kind of, you know, I'm sure for Tim, to get back to doing exercise is pretty important. Um, so... Awesome achievement, man, and just inspiration to those in your world and uh, James in particular. So you are our age, age group, group of the week. week, John. You've got a plug. Quick, quick plug for my camp. I've got the Kona camp coming up at uh, end of May. Now, love to have um, you there if you're keen to come along. A couple of spots left, but also if you just want to go over to Kona to do the race, the seventy point three is awesome. Uh, you get well, to we are speaking to the defending champion. Defending champion who will not be defending his title this year. The title is up for grabs. I think Brett Tingey's doing it. Sorry? Brett Tingey's. There you go. He, yeah. might, he might qualify. Well, he might qualify himself for Kona. So this year, agree with it or not, 
There's 24 age group slots for the Ironman World Championships. Oh, for the, for the World Championships? Pretty straightforward way to get a Kona slot. You go over there and you win your age group, you're off to Kona. Not for so 70.3s? There's 30 age group slots for 70.3 World Champs to be held in South Africa. So but we are saying it's to celebrate 15 years of the 70.3 in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So that's why they had so many slots. Maybe. How many slots are there normally? None. Last year there was none. Uh, there used to be slots there. But uh, then they disappeared. And, I uh, think it's going to be really interesting because you've been there for the last, what, five years? Mm. It'll and definitely be a strong field. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see. That's why I'm not defending. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wise athlete. I'm, I'm not denying that the field, the field <laughs> last year was not as strong as, as previous years. I'm not denying that. No disrespect to the others there. But um, uh, had I done the same performance previously, I probably wouldn't have won. But uh, also just okay. overall numbers. It'll be interesting because 24 slots for all age groups. So it'll be interesting to see if that draws, like we've always said it's the golden ticket, but really is it? And this is a really good kind of case study to see if that's the case. Yeah. So if you want to try to get to kind of, plus it is a really, really cool race. I'm not just saying that. You get to race over the, the main part of the Ironman course going up to Harvey and back. Uh, it's beautiful swim. And then the run is, it's a gut busting run. You're running all over this golf course. And so times pretty much go out the window. Like I think I... Did I run like a 127 there last year? It was something like that. You gave me that time anywhere else in the world. I'd be disgusted at myself. But you were the champion, John. Um, so you can let go uh, of that bad form if you win. was enough over there. It's, uh, it's a really tough run course, but at the same time, a lot of off-road running, which is quite forgiving. And you're always just changing direction or running on a golf path. So um, at the time, you're going, bloody hell, this is hard. But afterwards, on reflection, it's a beautiful race. So check out the uh, finishers picks, Ironman 70.3 Hawaii. I should have rang my news when you won that. Sorry, you I should have rang. I, I know, I know the sports reporters. Yeah. My mate Blair Norton, he's in. The, he's right up there at One News. I should have rang them and said, "Look, John Newsom won a seventy point two championship in Kona." There you go. Because people don't know they they see a Ironman in Hawaii. He won an Ironman race in Hawaii. John won the Ironman Hawaiian race. Yeah, yeah. I could have got you on One News. Yeah. Could have got you on Seven Sharp yeah. for Hoskins left. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Gotta got you on there. Uh, Zania's Christmas post. What's I'm this about? I'm going to show you this. So Zania was saying last night she got uh, some nice Christmas, saw some t-shirts when they had a holiday down in Queenstown. And I'll show Bevan the picture. It's on like Donkey Kong. That is sensational. Yeah. And the couple wearing the same t-shirt. Ian Wood and Zania Morrison. It's on like Donkey, Donkey Kong. Kong. That is gold. Why didn't you get us one? Exactly. <laughs> come on. We, we may come on. <laughs> oh, no, okay, John, let's talk about our patrons. Patrons, we have Carol, the rock-solid Cooper. Nice. We've got Caleb, bellboy guest. And Brian, Hellraiser Hagen. My good old roommate, Hellraiser, who works for Ford. Good. Yeah, he was actually very high up, I noticed, on the uh, on the leaderboard this week. Oh, was he? Yeah, I think he did a lot of hours of training. I wonder what he's training Total for. Total duration. He finished second place. He had 25 hours of training. It's a lot of work. a lot of training. It is. A lot of training in particular, and it's winter over there. Yeah. And America's having a bad winter because I watched the news. Yeah. Tell you what, we talk about the weather. I watched the news the other night. I would say the news, it was a couple of nights ago, would have been 70% weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd agree. No no lies. No yeah. lies. Every story was New Zealand's storms weather. Storms in England. Storms in America. In America, America and storms in New Zealand. Jeepers, creepers, John. I was frustrated. I'm not into the weather like you are. <laughs> uh, I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our Patreon. Remember, guys, if you want to support us in getting to Kona and just doing what we do, go to www.iamtalk.me. It's all very clear on the website. And you go in the draw, which we're drawing pretty soon to go to Kona. So if you want to get in now, 
get in there. Can become a patron now because you might come to Kona, hang out with the boys, see Gomez race. Apparently, yeah. Brownie's going to be there. Apparently, so. Big year. Okay, John, and if you want to email us, uh, Podcast at gmail.com. John, what you got? What's my goss going to Wellington this weekend? Oh, what's in Welly? The Welly going to go see the Lego display at Tapapa. They've got a oh. master Lego build. Apparently, there's only, I don't know, 10 or 12 of them in the world and got this massive big Lego display. So, that was a Christmas present for the kids. We're going up there for the night. It's a cool idea for a Christmas present. Yeah, so it's going to be good times. They, um, a friend of mine, or one of our runners, a guy called Centuri, he, um, he went to, he's, he, he's, I don't know if he's a master. I'm pretty, he's, can't be if there's only 12 in the world. Yeah. But he went over to, Melbourne and worked for a year. Nice. With some master. It's Tom's dream job. Literally, he was just doing those. those, So, what you're going to see, that's what he was creating. Mm. Went over there for a year and that's what he was doing. Might go down to the Cape Town, watch our Wellington Phoenix play in the (laughs) A League. They are bottom of the table, but I've never been to the Cape Town. I've never been to a live football game like that, a professional football game. So, might go and do that on Saturday night. Go crazy. Is it really that professional with the Phoenix? You do wonder. The Phoenix, like New Zealand sports teams in Australian leagues, traditionally aren't that good, except for the Breakers. Yes. And uh, the Phoenix are the worst of the worst. But like yeah. the Warriors are bad, John. So the, we, we, Phoenix is football. Warriors is uh, league. rugby league. league. And then Bevan said the Breakers basketball. We actually win the Australian competition at basketball. Often. It's quite good. Yeah. Yeah, the Breakers yeah. are good. Whereas, but John, I actually think this year is going to be the Warriors year. <laughs> right. Everybody <laughs> says that every year. Every zero. year. It's like this year's the Warriors year. Uh, good times. So, so Phoenix, what else? And outside of that, what was going on? We've got the New Zealand Triathlon Champs down here on the 28th of January, yes. building up for that. If people are listening to this and if you're planning on coming, uh, you need to get your entries in because uh, it's starting to fill up pretty quickly. Is it a qualifier for a qualifier? World Champs in Australia later in oh, the year. Oh, so it'll be popular. And I had a... Uh, had somebody email me in yesterday expressing concerns about the course and so that sort of stuff gets me a little bit fired up. <laughs> what, was, what was their concern? It's not a safe course. I was like... Really? Why is it? Why? Why? What's the argument, John? You know, there's a busy road. There's not much passing. There's shingle on the road, and I'm like, seriously? Have you ridden around there before? Yeah. Anyhow, just let it out, John. <sighs> let it take a few deep breaths after that one. <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> um, uh, if if I turned up, yes. would I be able to qualify? Yes. Oh, really? Yes. There is twenty slots per age group. Maybe I should just turn up and qualify. Group. You should do that. I don't know. If, uh, uh, what, what do I do a triathlon in that? What was that? Olympic course? Yep. So the run would be good. The run is epic at this race. Yeah, so not a good finish, run. It'd be work for me because I'm a strong athlete. You've got to finish within 20% of second place. So let's say uh, the winner goes two hours 15. Yep. What's that? That's uh, 20%. What <laughs> 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 you go, John? It's ballpark half an hour. <laughs> We got two forty five. Twenty to thirty minutes. You, you, you know, the swim would be terrible. Can you draft on the bike? Yeah, no. But forty uh, k, I could probably pop out forty k and yeah, you'd easy be enough. fine. You'd be just fine. Oh, maybe I should maybe I should turn up. John. Should rock up, do it. Rock up, get to the worlds, yeah. go to the worlds. Could I win the worlds? Gold Coast, GC, GC. <laughs> back it up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the old slappers on the GC, <laughs> and then uh, oh yeah, and what what about what about your holiday? What were the highlights of the Christmas holiday? Holiday was all good. I didn't do I did a little bit of fitness activity, but then in Kaiteri they have these um, the beach we swim at. They've got uh, a line of boys along there. Did you get worried about boats? Um, 
Oh, I, I met a I'm Talk listener who was, uh, he came over to our camp, camp in France way back in... Oh, really? Um, camp Kierkegaard. Camp Kierkegaard. 2008. I've forgotten your name now. He still listens. Daniel. No, I'll come back to me in a second. Um, That's a good commitment to this show. And he still listens. So it's, it's, well done. Oh, now you're really insulting Anyhow, him. Anyhow, we were just going down for a quick swim uh, out to the boys. So now I've got Thomas, you can swim out to the boys in the, in the open water for... It's about 100 metres or so. What's cool, you see that the, the water was a lot warmer this year, really clear, and this beach that we're at, the, the times we were going down initially the first week it was high tide, and bang on high tide, every day, the stingray went to swim oh, <laughs> on really? the beach a couple of times. Really? And everybody's going, okay, I'll just get out of the water for a second, let him swim past, get back in. He just did two laps of the bay every day. It's just his yards, you know, mm. on the, the water, 140. But the water was so clear you could see him, see him coming, so it wasn't too much of a concern. Outside of that, Bevan, a little bit of mountain biking. Did you get drunk? Um, so I got drunk, drunk, but there was a little bit too much alcohol. I was drunk on a fairly regular basis. New Year's Eve? Had the fireworks. We have a fireworks display up there, which is fantastic. And uh, played a bit of Cards Against Humanity. Oh, yeah. Do you like that? Yep. Played a few rounds of that. I'm really good at it. We had a game a couple of weeks ago, and I nailed it. Because yep. basically, the crassy you are, yes. that's the key. Got to get lucky. Don't, don't be nice. Mm. You've got to go crass as crap. And people love it. Mm. Yeah. What happened within your world, Bevan? Uh, well, we, we did our typical summer holiday. We uh, we stayed in Christchurch for a few days longer this time because Joe's family were away. So we had Christmas Day. It was an awesome day. My daughter was there. and mm-hmm. my daughter, so it was quite cool to hang up with my daughter. Um, she's got a boyfriend, Heath. Right. Yep, met Heath. Beat him up a little bit. Yeah. Smashed him around a bit, you know, as you do. <laughs> um, and then we went down to Glendale Bay. And then Porno, so Porno, Elliot. Remember Elliot who did Epic Camp? Yes. Yeah, Elliot, his wife, Ethel. I'm not sure if that's his wife, I think it's his wife. Mm-hmm. And a girl called Annalise who's doing Challenge Wanaka. She's doing the full one Wanaka from Dunedin. Um, we I thought you were say your ex Annalise. No, 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 <laughs> no. She's also doing the Challenge Wanaka full. I think she is too, yeah. Mm. Um, we did uh, Mount Roy. We ran right. up Mount Roy mm-hmm. and then ran along the top mm-hmm. and then came down by Carl Drona. Right. Awesome run. Yeah. Awesome run. Like, have you ever ran up Mount Roy? Uh, no, I have not. It's a pretty challenging run. Mm-hmm. It's pretty ch- like I think. Uh, oh, uh, I'm going to pull up the stats in a second. But you're climbing just forever. It's just a steep climb for an hour. It took us an hour and six. Elliot and I got up an hour and six. I think Paul is yeah. just a couple minutes behind us. And then, um, but I tell you what, John, my body was not ready for a run like that. Right. I was in agony for the next four. Because the thing is, when you run, like it's a steep. It's kind of like running up the equivalent of the first part of Dyer's Pass Road. Yeah. If not steeper, yeah. for an hour. Yeah. And luckily, my because I thought when I first started, I was like, my Achilles are not going to like this because you're basically on the top front of your toes the whole time. Yeah. But we got there and we, and we had a few stops along the way and it was a beautiful, stunning run. Um, but yeah, for the next few days, my body was like, what have you done to me? Right. <laughs> what have you done? So we did that. I finally, I finally, at my wedding, what are you thinking? I'm still trying to think of this, the, the name. I've, I've got this guy pictured <laughs> right in front of me and he was here with his wife. And I know who was your name because I remembered it on the spot, and now I can't remember. Is oh. he? Where's he from? He's a, a Kiwi. He was living in London, and he came across to a camp, and now he's back in New Zealand. I think I remember the guy. Yeah, yeah. Was he a younger guy at the time? Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember the guy. I'm sure, it wasn't Daniel. No, it was not Daniel. Uh-huh. Peter. <laughs> it was not Peter. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Dick and it wasn't Harry either. Oh, bugger. Um, John, when, at my wedding, you were at my John, wedding. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and 
<laughs> at my wedding, uh, the MC gave me shit because I couldn't water ski. Yeah. This year. One I, ski? I conquered. Oh, John, I just got up on two. <laughs> Uh, so I finally got to water ski. That was quite good. Um, All you got to do is keep your arms straight. Well, no, that wasn't the trick. So uh, there was a bit of pressure. I have to admit because <laughs> I've been with them twice. No, I've only water, I've only tried twice in my life. Once mm. up in Kaiteri, couldn't mm. do it. Yeah, and then with this crew in in Glendu Bay, and they were they were quite happy that I wasn't able to ski. You know, to mm. be honest, they were they were quite happy, and that's why I got given shit at my wedding about it. Yeah. And so we got in there, and I thought, no, I'm going to try because I'm someone who doesn't give up in life. I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. And the first two times I stood up, but I kind of fell forward. You know what I mean? And so I kind of stood up for maybe two seconds, mm-hmm. and then fell over. And then uh, Ludi, who was looking after the boat, he yeah. said to me, "Bev, the key is you got to keep your arms straight, but if it gets a bit slack, pull the arms up." Right. And that was the trick. Yeah. So then I stood up, got a bit slack, and what was happening before was I was just falling forward. But pulling the arms up, did a whole lap of the lake, John. There you go. There you go. So now I'm a professional water skier. Yeah. Kept it very safe. I stepped right in the wake because I, I know you meant to go side to side, oh, but that's I was like, the fun part. I know, but I was like, I'm doing one lap. <laughs> <laughs> so next time I do, I'll, I'll get outside the loop. What's the name, John? Have you got oh, it? No, I've got it. John, you're a disgrace to the show. Yeah, I am. I apologise. Apologise. You've had a good show. I've had a weak show. Yeah, I've started 2008 strong. Mm. Um, any other things gone? Any, any other things? That's about it. That's about it. Okay. Well, you should probably go home and you give Belinda more of your Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's wrap it up. Iron Russ. I don't even know. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.